Greetings, Model Rail Radio fans. It's your humble host, Tom Bodley, reporting to you at 10.08pm on August 2nd, 2012, day two of my time at Grand Rapids. My morning began at 5.20, yes, 5.20am, in order to get up to go on what was called the Canton Flyer Tour. Now, I didn't really know much about the Canton Flyer Tour, and really... This is a story of redemption. I'll give it to you from end to end. So, having arrived at uh, the Amway Centre at about 6.05, I realised that probably the tour wasn't going to leave at the newly posted time of 6.30, but probably a little bit later. And I had gone to bed probably just after midnight. So, I hadn't had a lot of sleep. Now, this may appear difficult to understand for some, but... Occasionally, very occasionally, and not typically associated with this particular podcast, I've been known, without sleep, to be a little bit grumpy. And I need to confess, going on this tour this morning, I thought a lot needed to go in its favour in order to turn it around. Firstly, there was kind of limited information associated with all the tours on the Grand Rails website. And I guess my thought was that um, because there were eight layouts on this particular tour, that what I was going to experience was probably going to be between 20 and 30 minutes at a layout for, well, I didn't think I was actually going to be traveling that far. I don't know why. I just assumed that because some of the layouts involved traveling to Detroit, for example, that I wasn't going to be traveling to Detroit today. So little did I know when I arrived that, yes, I would be traveling to, well, pretty well a number of the western suburbs of Detroit, not actually into Detroit proper. We did kind of kiss the neighboring suburb to Detroit. But, um, yeah, two and a half hours worth of uh, trip both ways before seeing a single layout. Coming into this experience, I thought to myself, hmm, this really doesn't seem like something I should have done, particularly because um, I'd been working up until yesterday, and yesterday was my first day of holiday, and my hope was to actually have some rest yesterday, and I got about mm, 45 minutes worth of lying on my bed before I then went out and had dinner with folk and got back and recorded the podcast, what have you. Enough of the narrative. So what I was um, going to be treated to today, and um, originally I seem to recall when I signed up to this particular layout tour, that all the layouts that were advertised on the Grand Rails website, all the people who had done the layouts had MMRs. And for folks not familiar with MMRs, it's the NMRA's, the Master Model Railroad Certification. So my anticipation going to all these layouts, because it was advertised on the Grand Rail site, was that they would all be MMRs. There was a surprisingly high density of MMRs, and there were some pretty amazing layouts on the tour. So let's begin. Having travelled the two hours and a half, I was sitting next to a fellow by the name of Jimmy Cosmo, or Cosmo, I believe he pronounces it. Some, some pronunciation like that. Jimmy Hales from uh, Texas, from Houston, Texas. Uh, I've spent a little bit of time in Houston, Texas. So towards, I think, the maybe the start of the second round, I'm not sure when we actually struck up a conversation, but we talked for a majority of the trip, and I had a really good time uh, chatting with Jimmy. But more on that in a few minutes. So the first layout that we saw was uh, Bill Neal's uh, Pennsylvania Railroad Panhandle Division. This is a layout that I've had particular interest in for a long period of time. And I didn't, when I signed up for this, didn't realise that this was exactly the same layout, but it appeared in Great Model Railroads 2010. And I did spend quite some time looking at that particular issue uh, for this particular layout. 
I spent, I think, a total of about 10 minutes on the layout, and this, I think, was one of my frustrations <laughs> with this tool. Well, although towards the end, basically, 10 minutes seemed like a long period of time in the layouts, but um, for this one in particular, I would have liked to have spent maybe 20 minutes in the layout and spent a little bit less time kind of being moved through the layout. Clark Kooning had given me a narrative leading up to this that I was to anticipate saying, seeing each layout for about 10 minutes uh, and then being kind of turfed out for the next group to come through. But this was one particular layout that I actually wanted to spend some quality time in. I did record YouTube for each one of these layouts and the YouTube will be going up when I get back. It was a smaller room than I expected, but it is a double player, and it says that it's 98% scenery complete. I seem to recall that it was one roundhouse that had a little bit of additional scenery, but I could be confusing with another layout because this was the first layout I saw, and I was a little bit sleep-deprived when I went down into it. But absolutely beautiful layout. Uh, Bill continued to follow us for uh, the day being an operator on various layouts, and if I'd plucked up enough courage... Aside from casual hellos and what have you, well, I would have gotten some audio contact with him. Um, a little bit more on that later in this particular recording. But yeah, it was just a phenomenal layout and everything I expected. Um, some scenes, including a scene with a junkyard, I seem to remember from uh, Great Old Railroads 2010. But yeah, just a beautiful layout and actually a really well-positioned layout in terms of size. It was 25 feet by 22, uh, double, double deck. Uh, but, yeah, just a really nice use of space, uh, relatively wide aisles, and just a relatively comfortable movement space. And if I would give any critique of some of these layouts, it would be associated with the space, but we're coming up associated with that. The next layout we saw um, was uh, Glenn Joppich's layout. And Glenn was just a really nice guy. He's a really nice fellow. I actually, um, to get the story slightly out of order, uh, had dinner with him and his son at the conclusion of this tour. Uh, I had a really nice chat with him, and he's going to be listening into Bottle Royal Radio in the future. But at the time, and you've got to appreciate it, I was particularly sleep-deprived. Glenn's layout was basically about 10 to 15% completed. Um, he'd taken two sections of his previous layout when he'd moved into his new place uh, and put them in as a kind of shelf layout, which would be the second deck of the new layout. And he'd seen it probably... Well, actually, that's not fair. I mean, the, the assessments associated with 10 to 15% comes through the uh, numbers provided. It was probably about 35 to 40% um, scenery, uh, and certainly in terms of track completion, well, I mean, there was track going around, but clearly there was more to go on. I guess at the time, in the context of these things, because everything seemed to be very, very rushed, um, I just thought to myself, this layout seems a little bit out of place on the tour. That's relatively harsh to say now. I've spent an evening chatting with Glenn as well. Um, but yeah, at the time, because I basically spent a shortened amount of time through a layout that I really wanted to see in order to go and see this layout that was basically, you know, in very early stages of, of being connected up. Uh, and also, I think we got about six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> in Glenn's lab as well. And you've got to appreciate all of this involves getting on a bus, getting off a bus, going through in uh, groups of 8 to 12, and just all the kind of logistical organisation. Um, just seemed a little bit out of place. But what I realised, actually, particularly spending uh, dinner with Glenn uh, and his son, was that they represent um, the kind of younger end, basically, of the club, uh, and also um, a, lot of the, a lot of the potential vibrancy. 
uh, basically in the club. And I had a really nice evening uh, chatting with Glenn and his son and talking more about the show uh, and also some of their railroading interests. Uh, and also I had a, a good chat with Glenn about his previous layout and these kind of things. So, yeah, all in all, at the time, and this is why this podcast is about redemption, <laughs> my sense was that... Um, and Glenn also, look, let me talk a little bit more about Glenn's layout. He's actually modelling Michigan. And one of the things that strikes me about this part of the world is more people should actually model Michigan. There's a lot of really interesting, you know, industry stuff going on in Michigan. And um, the houses and the size of things really worked out well for, I don't know, maybe a six-foot shelf layout or something like that. I mean, there were lots of really interesting elements, and Glenn basically had that in the sections that he uh, brought from his previous layout. So, you know, I, I, you know hats off for Glenn for modelling Michigan, uh, and there's a lot of potential there. But in the scope of these layouts that were typically between 90 to 100% completed, it was just a little out of place in terms of the, the initial stuff. But, you know, I understand in the context of showing the full club. We then moved on to um, Ken Chicks. And Ken Chick is an MMR. I should have also noted, I may have noted, that's how long I've been awake, uh, that uh, Bill Neal is also an MMR. Uh, let me just check to see uh, if... No, Glenn isn't an MMR, but on his way, I think he noted. Anyway, Glenn Chick models in. And this was probably... Hard to say. Probably my tied second favourite layout. Obviously, the first one was uh, one that I had a great degree of anticipation for. This is in taken to its kind of subtle best. Um, through large portions of the layout, there were branch lines which extended for maybe six to ten feet around sections of the layout, and every area had um, potential for both operations and also. I don't know, just, it, it seemed to be just like a fun layout to operate on. Um, and lots of fast tracks turnouts. I think he mentioned that there was like one axe turnout that gave him a lot of trouble. Um, but you could just see that this was just a fun end scale layout to operate on. About, I don't know, 90% track completed, 98% scenery complete according to this stuff, but just so much scenery that was just so well done. Uh, and lots of little bits of detail. The, um, there was a roundhouse, for example, where the stops at the end had that kind of strange fluorescent yellow, which seems a little bit too modern for um, 1950s, I think. Oh, no, he's modelling the 1920s, according to this. So, yeah, but apparently it's prototypical, and I've had some correspondence with folk uh, associated with it. No, he's, he's modelling uh, 1954. Um, but yeah, just an amazing layout with lots of little end scale vignettes and the kind of layout where you came into it where at a distance you could mistake it for HO, there was just that level of detail but yeah, like I say I just really like the branch lines, I like some of the exploration away from the main line it was a layout of maybe well, although it was a, I think a single deck layout, I'm pretty sure it was a single deck layout, uh, so yeah it had them, according to the 16 towns and switching locations, and yeah it was just Lots of little vignettes, um, just a really nice layout. Uh, there were at least two levels within a single deck, uh, so there was always like a, like I said, a branch line behind typically. Uh, and just here, yeah, some nice tunnels and stuff, a really just a nice layout. So hats off to uh, Ken Chick, uh, because I'll be in correspondence with him, as I mentioned shortly. So we then move on to uh, Scott Kramer's uh, layout, and Scott's layout. 
was one of the more problematic layouts. Um, not because it wasn't particularly well modelled. He has amazing uh, like cattery line stuff and just some really interesting elements, but the aisles were just really thin. And there were, I guess, about 12 of us. And some really kind of uncomfortable, like, single-person aisles. I think the smallest gap was probably less than 12 inches. It felt like there was kind of a 10-inch gap. It might be a 12-inch gap. But it was just the wrong kind of layout for a group of, I don't know, we went down in, I think we went down in 24s with that layout. His wife was very nice, and she kind of kept things buoyant at the top. But, yeah, it was just a really difficult layout to move around it. The other thing is that um, it had a number of trees, and this was more, like it said, 5,000 handmade trees. This was more an aesthetic thing. But the trees just seemed too thick and rubbery. And it was a setting that really concerned me because it just seemed out of place, particularly with the level of catenary detail. I know I'm just completely picking this layout to pieces. Some beautiful aspects of it. There was Well, it's all at the same time, but due to the different weather functions um, through the area that he's mounting, which is uh, Washington State, there was an area that was um, under snow. And this was an area that was right beside the air conditioning duct. And I thought this was just a really brilliant placement of like temporal stuff and uh also you know snow uh, but yeah just difficult to move around and really a little bit frustrating in that regard like some of the sections you could have just removed a few layers of track and i think some of the people made jokes there were um, there were a series of jokes does that came on this trip and uh, yeah the, the comments were kind of made that uh, particularly at other layouts with really spacious aisles that um, this one just seemed a little bit too cramped. Funny that these kind of things come down to it, but really, um, I guess when you're in these kind of environments and seeing so many different layouts, you do have the ability to do some kind of compare and contrast. So that was Scott Kramer's layout. We then moved to Jim Zinser's layout, and uh, Jim's layout was probably one of the smaller layouts that we went to. It was pretty well modelled. The thing with Jim was that he had a really strong narrative, like he was standing in the middle of the layout, basically narrating various sections of the layout, and he had a sliding table that basically enabled him to uh, run different trains at different times. It was a table with maybe eight tracks on it, and it was a double-track mainline that went through it, so you could slide it out and get any of the rolling stock and, and locomotives that were on those tracks. I had a few questions for him associated with that, and I didn't actually have the opportunity to ask those questions because he was just giving a really strong narrative associated with various scenery elements, um, like thin aluminium and, um, you know, the naming conventions of certain structures and things like that. I really didn't have the opportunity to interact with Jim as much as I wanted to, and I thought maybe I might um, have an opportunity to talk to him in the evening, but I just didn't get a chance to. Pretty beautiful layout, actually. Some good use of lights and some of the towns, which I really liked, a kind of fluoro lighting aspect. But the idea of the layout is what if copper mines um, kind of continued to prosper in um, the upper peninsula of Michigan through 1954. And uh, the thing that struck me um, about the layout was, yeah, it was just, it was a little bit too small, which is strange to say. Out loud because there's some just palatial sized layouts. Uh, but you're beautifully modelled and just a really nice use of neon, which is a strange effect to use in the 1950s, but I think he used it actually very well. Unfortunately, not in my uh, top, top two. 
The second tie for second favourite, uh, and this is someone else who I had an opportunity, a really long opportunity to talk to tonight. It was absolute pleasure uh, was Ron King. Uh, Ron King MMR, I need to point out. Ron King has basically he's a he's a he was a whisker away from being my favourite layout. In fact, those three um, that I mentioned, the the first layout that was in uh, Great Model Railroads, the Enscale layout, and Ron King's all were pretty high up. I mean, I think the thing with Ron King's layout was that it was a layout that clearly it had taken him 20-plus years to build. Lots of little attention to detail, but a really nice use of space as well. It reminded me a little bit of um, the Hoosick Valley and when it had been in a small location, although I never have seen the Hoosick Valley. It had that element of just the perfect spaced... Uh, and it was in an 18 by 42 space, which I think is about the same space, maybe a little bit smaller even, than the original um, Hoosick Valley. Dick Owl's Hoosick Valley, uh, for folks interested in the reference. Um, but yeah, just a beautiful use of space, some really nice locomotives. It's modelling uh, the Pennsylvania and New York area of the Erie Railroad, and just, yeah, beautiful vignettes, and a really large kind of central... Um, I don't know, yard area, uh, which was just really nicely done. Uh, lots of plastic structures, actually, but you didn't really notice it because of the weathering and the way that he had layered a lot of the scenes. So yeah, there were a lot of kind of familiar plastic structures, but none of that took away from the layout. Uh, and it was just really nicely done. It's also a layout that was 100% complete and had been 100% complete for quite some time. And you could tell we had a long conversation associated with uh, wheels um, and, and kind of bogies and these kind of things and how he'd gone through various phases and optimised this. And this kind of discussion is the kind of precision that I like to see model railroaders, particularly experienced model railroaders. I'm not really tooting my own horn here as well because I like to talk about these kind of things too. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be in contact with Ron King actually. He doesn't have email, so I'm going to have to send him a physical email, a physical mail um, to say thank you. And also he's got some Union Pacific stuff, um, which... Yeah, moderately interested. I'd like to hear more about it. So I'll uh, send a physical letter out to Ron King to say thank you and probably send him a, a bottle well radio mug or something like that. Um, anyway, so that's Ron King's layout. I'm tied for my second favourite. Probably with the last two layouts, I'm going to say this, is that they were both kind of modelling the same thing. And by this point, I was kind of pensied out. Um, so... To be honest, um, so Dewey Norton is modelling uh, the Clinch Valley in Norton, Virginia, um, but it just had a lot of really similar elements uh, to a number of the other layouts. And it was a beautiful layout, don't get me wrong. Uh, it was a relatively large layout, um, 35 by 52. Uh, 100% of the track was completed. There was a kind of white foam section, if I recall correctly. But for these kind of super layouts, you just... I don't know, you kind of lose track of space and time. Um, it was only a single level layout, uh, and basically the same folk were operating on all these layouts as well. But I guess I was just getting tired by this point and kind of overwhelmed by seeing all these amazing layouts. So, I mean, the reason it isn't in the top two um, was just that it didn't have... I think it was just a bit too big. This is one of these funny things that, as I may have mentioned um, yesterday, associated with seeing Bruce Chup's layout, I just kind of get the sense that the huge layouts are just, I don't know, they just don't have the kind of same element that I'm looking for in a model railroad. Like, 
maybe they're too close to the prototype in some really surreal way. Uh, Dewey Norton's layout, I think, was pretty close to the to the prototype. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was a look. Believe me, it was a beautiful model where I wrote. I've got very little negative things to say about it. Uh, a little tight in, in a couple of the hours, but certainly not the worst that I'd seen uh, in the layouts to date. Uh, but yeah, it just you know, didn't tick any of my boxes. It was a beautiful model where I wrote. Don't get me wrong. Um, very well seated. Um, absolutely perfect time pitch right on. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just become a bit jaded by this point. The final layout that we saw um, uh, was with Larry Wright. And Larry's a former cartoonist. The thing that caught me about Larry's layout was that he wrote some software associated with operations on a um, 128K Mac. And this is stuff that I know about. It's kind of in my professional background, and really more it's a hobbyist thing now. The problem was he just had some surgery and was having difficulty talking. Uh, his layout is absolutely beautiful as well, and he's got a lot more vignettes. It's like 100% complete, so um, just untouchable. He's got areas where he's moving to static grass, and that's the thing that caught me about all these layouts was that they really were with a kind of early 90s uh, kind of model railroad methodology associated with construction of the layout. And certainly with Larry's layout, I could see a progression um, towards modernising the uh, environment. So, I mean, hats off to Larry for that. Um, and I was able to uh, find a bit more about the, the software. Uh, but, yeah, I was just absolutely exhausted by this point and really getting quite concerned that I was getting too tired to do anything else. Uh, I did have a good chat with Larry. Um, he had a very cute dog. Uh, and I think, given time, and if I'd gone as part of the operating teams that went yesterday and had the opportunity, I think, to operate on most of these layouts, yeah, I, I probably would have had a lot of time for Larry's layout, and I certainly followed trains for quite a bit along the layout. I think they were having, uh, yes, they were having oper- they were having problems associated with the controllers, I seem to recall, so that might have delayed things a little bit. Uh, but yeah, by the time I got to uh, Larry's layout, I was just completely exhausted. Um, so a beautiful layout, but you just, I don't know, it's, it's a personal thing. Um, but yeah, the three layouts I've noted in my poorly ordered top two, I think, are going to have to stand. I had a really good chat um, following, as I mentioned, with, with Ron King and also with Glenn and a number of other folk, actually. We had quite an interesting table. Uh, Jimmy was on the table, too. Uh, we had a couple, a couple of grandparents and their grandchild, uh, who unfortunately I didn't get their names, and... Um, but yeah, it's just a, it was just a nice table. Then it was, I don't know, as I expected it to be. I wasn't expecting anything amazing. I was a little disappointed that they didn't get us dessert. But, you know, the salads and the mains were good. Uh, also, the lunch was good too. I forgot to mention that uh, I had the tuna fish and uh, it was turkey and something else, a Caesar salad, chicken Caesar salad sandwich or something like that. Um, yeah, it was all very good. I mean, it, it was kind of surreal actually to be in Detroit, or at least the outer suburbs of Detroit. All kind of strange. It's kind of like a dreamlike haze, basically, which is indicative of waking up at 5.30. Speaking of which, it's now 10.30, and I have a start at 7.30 tomorrow, so I'm going to edit the show, and I'm going to point out one layout, and I can't recall which one. There was a 9-volt battery that I found. 
So I'm going to use the 9-volt battery as cover-up for this particular recording. Anyway, um, Tom Bartley feeling relatively positive about the whole day, and it was absolutely wonderful to talk to, to Jimmy, and my hope is I'll be able to get some audio with him or I'll call him for a future show. Jimmy knows uh, Leslie Eaton, and Leslie Eaton will be coming to the breakfast tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to meeting Leslie and having a good chat with her, because um, she's certainly a mover, a shaker, and a motivator in the hobby, and you know, we like having those kind of people on Model Rail Radio. Anyway... Tom Bartley in Grand Rapids, feeling oh so in a dreamlike state, signing up. Day two, Grand Rails, day two for me. Tomorrow, the first day of the true show. Starting with breakfast and then going through all day, I may actually have audio from real people other than me. Tom Bartley, Grand Rapids, signing up.